Welcome to the Femininja podcast with a special uh, title on Let's End Femicide. This is a five-part series co-curated by Femnet and Womankind Worldwide to commemorate 16 days of activism 2021. Join us as we explore ways to end impunity or femicide based on the lived experiences and activism of activists working in the global south. My name is Marvo and I will be moderating today's discussion. Today, we are honored to be talking uh, to Fikite. Fikite, I'm really hoping that I'm saying your name right. Yes. I, like I might be saying it wrong, but you'll correct me. Uh, she's from uh, Ethiopian Women with Disabilities National Association. In the last episode, we looked at femicide and women human rights defenders with a focus on intersectionality as an approach. Today, we are privileged to have Fikita with us. She's going to tell us more, just a little bit about her background before we kick it off. Thank you. I'm really honored to get participated to the session. My name is Fikirta. I'm from Ethiopian Women with Disabilities National Association. I work there as a program manager. So I have been serving uh, in this position for the last uh, five years and working on women with disabilities and, you know, the intersection between gender and disability make women more vulnerable and that's one of my area of interest. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, a little background on the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. The International Day of Persons with Disabilities was first celebrated in 1992. It is a day that promotes an understanding of disability issues and mobilizes support for the dignity, rights, and well-being of persons with disabilities. Currently, women with disabilities constitute 19.2% of women worldwide and make up a substantial part of the global population. Women with disability face intersecting and varied forms of discrimination and experience GBV at higher rates than other women. The femicide they experience also has unique forms such as infanticide. And I know we know about this. We've heard about this. We've seen it in different populations. It is higher in some countries compared to others. And there are unique causes and consequences because their lives are devalued on account of stereotypes based on their gender and disability. So, um, Fikita, the first question would be, based on your organization's work, what are the unique forms of femicide that girls and women um, are faced with uh, and with disabilities experience? What have you come across and what are you dealing with? Okay, thank you, Marlon. And due to, as you said earlier, due to the, their particular impairment and uh, the, their gender, they are highly vulnerable for all forms of violence. As girls and women themselves are highly vulnerable for all forms of violence, what you call this violence. And it's not only the gender and disability issue, rather the negative attitude attached to disability. For example, People think that girls and women themselves are virgin, they are not sexually active, and they will not tell to anyone if a violation happened to them. And at some point, they are economically dependent, so they, they may not go, you know, they may not go away. So they are highly vulnerable. So after the violation happens, 
uh, usually they keep quiet. One of the reasons maybe is just because they don't know who they did. It might be a family member, yes. it might be a close friend of family, or it might be a neighbor, someone living near to their house. So due to their particular impairment, it might be visual impairment, it might be intellectual disability, they are not quite sure who did the harm to them. So they don't have the confidence to tell a family member, even to their, uh, to their mother that, just happened to me. They are not quite sure who did it. Even though they are quite poor, they may be afraid to tell. And in some of the cases, by the way, that we uh, we process, even though they tell the, for her mother, even the mother will advise the kid to keep quiet because they want the social tie to remain. They don't want to disturb anything. At the end of the day, they feel that they are not going to get a justice, so they prefer to be quiet. So, by the way, and this issue, uh, the fact that they are keeping quiet will uh, expose them to a further repeated violation. Yeah. And even they have the confidence and to, to, if they go out and report their cases, uh, the justice sector is not disability friendly. There are no encouraging environment in the in the justice sector, like they require the witness for a girl who's visually impaired, the police will ask who did it. And for uh, an intellectual disability, they will ask a witness. And the physical environment is not accessible, like for a wheelchair user, she can't go with the, she can't negotiate with steps, she can't negotiate with, uh, you know, the, the physical environment. So all the, this, including the attitude, will keep them to keep quiet, will um, will result repeated violation and having no one around to help you will make them desperate, okay? There is no justice, there is no, no one to tell. So at the end, they will decide to commit suicide. This is exactly what happened in some of our members. Mm. You know, um, as you're talking, I'm just wondering, um, and, and, and what you're saying is very important because I think as, as a... They, as they go on, because they, you already have a somebody already has a disability, and they're already feeling like they're bothering people. You see, that is one. So they don't even speak out. Do you have a case that stands out for you, and how did you help those people? That person, who, a woman who came to you, and you could see that things were a bit tough for her, and it was a bit extreme. How did you get her out of the mess? Okay, we have um, a peer-to-peer um, uh, educators ah. that go home to home, so they, they yeah. try to find out. And we also work with government health extension workers, which provide services. Actually, they provide health-related services to house to house, but we have a connection with them. So mm. while they go, while our peer educators or while the health extension workers go to home to home, mm. they'll find say, such kind of a girl who is um, yeah. afraid of telling her fact, but they will tell them that if you go to the association, you, you find a service and you'll come up. Wow. And uh, yeah. usually they will not tell even that they have been violated directly the, the first day that, that they come to your center. They need a, a safe space. They want to know that uh, yeah. you are not telling to anyone. They want to mm-hmm. know that you are not you know, dis- uh, disclosing their secrets. So we try to create a safe space. Like, um, we have a coffee session where they can find more friends who have 
who have the same experience like them, okay, yeah. who have overcome yeah. that circle, who have gone and report their case to the police. So they, they, uh, they, it takes time for them to feel um, comfortable, to feel safe, to tell their stories. Mm. I think I think what you're saying is very true because sometimes um, they feel like they cannot speak because they're already feeling um, like they're inconveniencing you. So when they find a space like yours, they are very happy. So that uh, statement that you've given me just ties into our second question. According to a submission that was made to the Special Rapporteur on Violence Against Women, its causes and consequences in 2018 by Women Enabled International. Femicide among women with disabilities reportedly remains invisible. You know, just like you were saying, as data on this issue is not consistently collected. And where it is collected, it remains anecdotal. Now, based on your work, Fikite, um, does the state document and collect data on violence against women with disabilities, including femicide? Does that happen in Ethiopia? No, <laughs> it doesn't uh, happen. It's even the one-stop centers, they just collect yes. data on GBB generally, mm. but it's not mm. disaggregated in disability. So this is one of our fight, okay? If you go there, they will say there are nine, uh, commonly about nine, 900 reports per annum, wow. per year. But if you say how many of them are women with disabilities or girls with disabilities, they don't have any information. In the case of where you find there is no data, how do you handle? Do you guys have your own uh, citizen-generated data? How do you get your own data? Okay, we actually we didn't do uh, citizen-generated data. Rather, mm -hmm. we register our own members. Okay. As I told you, we we use peer educators to go home to home to find women with disabilities, and we work with health extension workers. We go, they go home to home, they give us. Uh, who is disabled in that community. But uh, it's just uh, recently started the issue, but in terms of government efforts, data on percentage of disabilities in general and women with disabilities in particular is very missing information. Okay. Um, as we wind up, I would like you to give us recommendations that you would like to, uh, to make to decision makers especially and state actors in view of this year's 16 days rallying call the, or theme uh, from awareness to accountability in relation to femicide. Thank you, Marco. Our call for action from, from our government is that we want the justice sector to be safety friendly. We want to accommodate the, the justice sector to accommodate the special issue of girls and women with disabilities. And we mm -hmm. want the criminal court to be revised in the disability lens. For example, mm -hmm. as I told you, they don't have to ask a witness for a girl who is raped, a visually impaired girl. They have to consider that she's not seeing. They have to consider the intellectual disability and consider that she doesn't have the capacity to identify the person. Rather, other measures have to be taken to make justice serve it for our girls. If we have some few cases that uh, um, if we are successful in handling few cases of girls and women with disabilities yeah. who get justice, we can use that as a case to encourage others to come out and report. In most okay. of the cases, they are highly discouraged because 
they have not seen justice being served. So mm. whenever you talk to them, they'll say, okay, what are the end results? I'm not going to get justice. The only mm. thing is just about disclosing my secret. So no end, okay, no justice. So we want the justice sector to be safety friendly and mm. to consider the special issue, the special impairment of our girls with disabilities. Wow. Okay. So I had not thought about that. I think I have seen something new um, uh, that what you're asking for people to do, especially the government, is to, to recognize uh, uh, women with disabilities. And also that also helps. You know, we always say um, at Femnet, we always say that those that are not accounted for are not counted. Those are not counted yes. are not accounted for. So it either goes away. If you're not counted, you're not accounted for. If you're not accounted for, you're not counted. So your budgets are not there. They go missing. So what you're saying is that they need to be recognized. Women with disability need to be recognized. And secondly, justice must be served. But even as it is being served, it must be friendly. Yes, thank you, Marvel, for pouring my ideas in a shape. <laughs> yes, I, I had never, I'm telling you, Fikita, I had never had that one of justice being friendly. It can be served, but in the process, it's not friendly. You know, yes. it's not friendly yes. to them. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us today. In Kenya, we say Asante Sana, meaning thank you very much. Thank you to our audience for staying with us as we discussed Femicide and Women with Disabilities. This is a five-part series co-curated by Feminet and Womankind Worldwide to commemorate 16 days of activism 2021. In the next episode, we'll be looking at femicide and women economic justice and rights. Don't forget to join us. Mm-hmm.